13 Questions by Man Transcending Manhood in the Digital Age Welcome back to 13 Questions. This week we have Phil with the Amish, Amish Inquisition podcast. Adam, I usually don't bring us in. How did I do? Phenomenal. This, uh, I, I love, it, it felt very homey to me, and especially considering he's on the other side of the pond. So we're, you know, separate, like way separate time zoned. But I grew up with the Amish with, uh, with half of my family. So I don't know. It, uh, it was very, just a very homey feeling in the naming. And yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It was, it was nice. It was, it was nice to find uh, a kindred soul and to find, uh, I don't know. It was, it was a very harmonious interview. I enjoyed it very yeah. much, Bill. Yeah. He's a fellow podcaster, Amish Inquisition. Uh, he co-hosts it with uh, two other hosts. The shows are our show, 13 questions and his show connected via Instagram, but I later found out that Phil was actually hanging out in our Discord server for quite some time. He's a fellow lurker, um, much after, much like you know, I lurk too, so I get it. But yeah, I didn't know that he was in our Discord server until I booked him for the podcast, so that was kind of a fun turn of events. So yeah, and um, I just thought it would be cool to talk to someone from across the pond and, and Phil's, you know, in the community with, uh, he's had Darren and Graham on their show before and, and he gets the whole value for value model and we're riding the same wavelength. So yeah, like you said, it was just very, you know, relaxing. Um, well, and easy into our previous guest who, you know, mentioned that podcasts are the new oral tradition. There was so many flavors of that in, in this episode. And this is one that I'm going to thoroughly enjoy to go back and edit because I need to listen to it again. And let me know when you're ready to go into a gratitude. <laughs> oh, um, well, yeah, just do it. That's just play the jingle and then you go, uh, can go first. Yeah. This episode was wonderful from the fact that even on separate parts of the world, even separate experiences with all the craziness that's happening in the world, it's very refreshing just to see that there's people with rational thought and that aren't reflecting some of the absurdities that we see in the world. And just, it's very comforting to know that, you know, even though you think you're living in this crazy world, that there's many of us, we all are living in this crazy world and we're living inside of our own heads and we don't realize that everybody else is living inside of their own heads. And, you know, it's, it's very comforting just, you know, once you sit down and have in-depth conversations, it seems like, you know, everybody's kind of having the same experience and we just assume that other people aren't. So this is one of those just great conversations that just, you know, just kind of reaffirmed the fact that, you know, there are, there are some thoughts and some things that I don't want to say they're sacred, but they're, they're shared. There's a core that they transgress my experience into other people's experience. And I don't know, it's just, a, it's a very comforting thing to, 
to know that, I don't know, you sit down and speak to somebody and realize we're all really so much similar than we think we are. Yeah, it's a breath of uh, fresh air, you know. Um, we talked a lot, a little a lot about cooperation and building the future and things of that nature in, in the interview. And I think having people on like Phil with that are our content creators um, and, you know, we're going to do a swap cast with, you know, this will be out on their feed too, right? So having this uh, sense of com- community, really, obviously, and, and cooperation, and then to do it with somebody who's already riding on the same wavelength as you, because, you know, we run in the same circles, like, it's, 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 it is, I mean, you're right, it's, it's, it's like a little encouragement boost, right? Well, I mean, that's how waves propagate the you know, the actual material isn't moving, but the energy transfers, it goes on, it can interact and create bigger waves. And ultimately, that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're slowly growing. There's an energy, there's a frequency, there's a... It's, it's, it's also beautiful because there's a, a two-way influence. You've got the frequency of him doing his thing, us doing our thing, gaining wisdom from each other. And ultimately, your experiences always affect the rest of your world. So... um. Yeah, frequency is the perfect word to describe how we interact with the world. And so, I don't know, this is just one of those, you, you see those frequencies lining up. Didn't expect it, but um, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, listener, if you're looking for another podcast at your list, definitely check out Amish Inquisition. It's much better uh, than you're going to find on you know television or whatever. Find something else to do besides watch TV, listen to a podcast, such as this one like you're doing right now. Which, which, oh, wait, I have to do my gratitude. I can't just go off into the next direction. My gratitude is uh, I am thankful that I am able to act with intention more often. And I say this because I was at the grocery store uh, a few moments before we started podcasting, right? I was I had to go to the store and I was getting some avocados. So I was standing out in front of these avocados. And for some reason, I I just had this memory of somebody talking on some other podcast about using your intuition to pick your produce. So I had, you know, a little bit of fun with it. And so I sat there and kind of, you know, just took a second to feel out like which avocado felt right to to my body like my inner whatever is talking to me right so and and i was thinking about that after i got home and i was taking the stickers off the avocados and i was just thinking about how much more interesting and inter- and, and fun life is when when you act with intention in everything because everything becomes magical like you know picking avocados so it's the detective who uses blink remote viewing or blink to identify, meaning they don't know what they're looking for, but they say to themselves, when there's something that I need that's important to me in this investigation, I will blink. And then you know to clue into it. So you're using your intuition without having something predefined that can just happen, a little impulse, a little thing. And you know, there's different areas of life where people use this, and it's beautiful to see that same type of you know, the intuition, the, 
you know, the following that. And what a better way to do it because you can get direct feedback. You know, wow, this was a really good fruit. If it reminds me, so I've been watching Twin Peaks on your recommendation. And you remember the that scene makes me where so happy. Agent- <laughs> remember the scene where agent cooper is throwing the rocks at the glass milk jug after the names are listed off to figure out who was involved in the murder or whatever i i, I absolutely love that scene and i have clips from it so yes <laughs> yeah following a dream i had three years ago i have become deeply moved by the plight of the tibetan people and filled with a desire to help them I also awoke from the same dream, realizing that I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand with the deepest level of intuition. Sheriff, Deputy Hawk, if you will please assist me, I will now demonstrate. Leo Johnson. Like... So just do that, but like with everything in your life, yes. you'll have a lot of fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so, that's what's amazing about intuition. You know, your intuition is giving you information about things around you or from your future, or how do you decide what it is? Well, you just need a way for your mind to find that focus. So whatever tool, whatever method, you know, and practice, test it out. The fruit one is cool because that can tell you, you know, and maybe if you get a really, really bad intuition on a fruit, Hey, maybe get that one and see if it's sour inside. Yeah. Yeah. It could be your superpower. You could be sour fruit man. <laughs> sour fruit man. Mintberry crunch. Well, um, what else do we have going on? We've we talked a little bit about it in the interview about our upgraded website. We have a uh, book catalog page now. Question three book catalog features all of the answers to question three given by a guest for every single episode. And so all the books are, are listed there and they're all linked to, to Amazon. So if you are in the market for a book and you would like to purchase one, if you use the link, you can help support the show that way. And that is a new development also so i'm excited for that and if you haven't read the book from our guest tonight it's one of the most influential books on my life yeah we won't spoil it <laughs> sour fruit <And> man <laughs> spoil it yes <laughs> i love it um what else is new uh we have a new affiliate link with uh, mark sloan uh, for his red light therapy i have yet to build a web page for the website but that is coming it's in the works we are also we also have a a shungite affiliate link uh, which is kind of in a liminal state i actually just talked to derek yesterday derek condit episode 50 mystical wares that's where adam and i get our shungite from that we use personally and uh, derek has to rebuild the entire um website and affiliate program from scratch by himself so uh, for the time being we do have a coupon code 13 questions that you can use during checkout on derek's store to get a percentage off and also help support the show so that is another way to show your gratitude or value value for value model or you can go to the website and go to the support page and we have an option for PayPal 
uh, one-time donations, which I kind of want to talk about a little bit because it's not really something that occurs to a lot of listeners, I don't think, um, at least not when supporting a podcast. I don't think a lot of people sign up for like, you know, monthly recurring whatever on Patreon or what have you. Um, but I think the one-time that one-time option is is unique in that maybe this is your first time listening to the show, or you know you're you're really enjoyed one episode and you just wanted to type a little note with I'm rambling, but it's an, it's a good option to to give back just once. And if you only listen to one episode and you want to show your value for that one episode, it's one-time donation. This is available. Um, or you can do the recurring thing. We do have that option too. Um, can you think of anything else? Any other ways listeners can oh, support? Any way. I mean, selfishly saying if somebody could help us get set up on, you know, a Satoshi wallet through podcast, you know, so we can start taking donations through podcast 2.0 compliant apps, getting people to produce chapters and, you know, Th- these are the things that would be absolutely amazing. Um, it's value for value. It's reaching out to us. It's finding guests and people in your world that you think would be interesting. It's questions that you think would be good or um, interesting or compelling to ask on the podcast. It's there's so many ways. If you f- if you feel a connection to us and a feel a way that you could help, then you know suggest it. You know it's it's me and Bill with a belief in just pulling, you know, this, this wisdom and this knowledge, this, this new, what I love that, that they said the, it's the new, um, it's the new oral tradition. It is. And it's memorialized in a way that we're not going to be able to understand, you know, I guess in the, the age of being able to fake and change audio files, but, you know, outside of that, it's much easier to manipulate text. And there's so much more in audio and in video and the things in the way that we record and the nuance that we're going to be holding things through time and reflecting back in a different way. And I think that's really beautiful. And we'll be able to go back to old wisdom and, you know, play telephone. As best you try, sometimes the details change everything. And... You know, this is something that, you know, in, in the way that we talk that somebody, you know, standing in Tiananmen Square or folding their arms in a photo, you know, transgresses time. There can be moments and things said in wisdom and and things that we can go back to that that are locked in in that way. So instead of being, you know, a story passed down about an event and how somebody stood up or how, you know, just the knowledge changed, you can go back and and so that's what this is. This is taking moments of those times and memorializing them so that as long as somebody out there has recorded and remembers, then this continues to live on. And that's the beautiful thing. Everybody out there on their phone, on their computer, wherever you've downloaded, if you find a piece of information somewhere in the world that you think is important, you know, download it, lock it up, you know pull it offline and keep it in a spot where it can always be accessed because it is, it is a true treasure. And we don't live in the times where we can all memorialize things into a stone tablet, but you can certainly memorialize into the information that we pass on. And that's all it is. You know, this conversation is ones and zeros 
could be put on an album, could be chipped into stone, but instead you get the high fidelity of the, the digital experience. I didn't know where I was going with that, Bill, but no. everybody can be part of it. Yeah, be a part of the magic. Uh, time, talent, and treasure. Mm-hmm. We will take your Babylon bucks, if that's the easiest way for you to support us. It is a form of energy transfer, but uh, sharing the show, or spread the love. I mean, that's that's really more valuable than Babylon bucks at this point, is telling other people about the show. And uh, yeah, be a part of the magic. Guest suggestions. Um, uh, the No Agenda show says it right. They, they call their listeners yeah. producers because to scale what they do with the amount of work that they put in, you know, each week, it couldn't be done with just the two of them. And so people that find value in the work that they do help support them, not just monetarily, which keeps them going and allows them to focus on it full time, but it also gives them resources. And, you know, in the same way that took us finding connections to get tonight's guest, if you like tonight's guest, give us more connections because, you know, we can you know, continue to just encompass more knowledge from different crevices that you know, our minds just aren't reaching. They're not, not even thinking of to connect because we don't have the connection. So you, at very least, can be that connection. And if you feel a connection, let us know. Whatever it is. That transference of energy means something, and uh, that's why we're here. Yeah, and I'm, we're super easy to get a hold of. Um, we got the email, 13questionspodcast.gmail.com. And if you go to the website, we have links to all the social media there, Telegram, Gab, uh, Instagram, Twitter, if you want to use those. And other than that, uh, check out the book list, the book catalog, question three book catalog, also on the website. And I think uh, I think that's it. Time, talent, treasure. Yeah. Part of the magic. Website, email, check out the show notes. And listen to uh, the Amish Inquisition. But for now, this is 13 Questions with Phil. Guess we'll just jump right into the first question. Which is, what was the best advice ever given to you? Would you modify it at all today? So, you know, this, I thought this was one of the hardest questions. And I don't know if that says something more about me in that I'm the, probably the type of person who's not very good at listening to advice or even doesn't even notice when good advice, good, I, could be, I could be swimming in good advice. It could be coming left, right and center and I just, <laughs> maybe I'm just sort of that character that doesn't recognize it. So I really struggled with this one. Um, there are a few things I've picked up and it's like, I can't place where they came from or where I heard them first. I think the sort of universal things that probably a lot of people have heard. Um, one of which was, and I mentioned it on our last podcast and it is, um, you can't control what happens to you. Um, the only thing that you have control over is how you react to it. And I think that's sort of a universal truth. I think it's philosophically true and it's, it's physically true because of causality. You know, once something has happened, you can't change it. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's your little lad spilling a glass of Coca-Cola on your new carpet or the dog shit in the bed or whatever it is. 
once it's happened, you've no control at all. The only thing that you have control of is how you react. And it's one of the hard, I think it's one of the hardest things to implement because we're so, it's, it's, it's so tempting and so easy to sort of fly off the handle, isn't it? And, and just react in like a, a guttural animal way. But it's, it's, it's being able to sort of take that pause, that little split second, maybe if it's even three or four seconds, just to stop and think and maybe take a deep breath and say, right, this shit thing's happened. You, I have a choice now and it's on me. It's my, I'm responsible for my actions. How am I going to react? And I don't know where I first heard it. Have you heard that before you guys? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Caught you off, <laughs> caught you off guard there. <laughs> Bill. I was hitting the space bar to unmute, me, unmute myself. And I was just right. hitting space in my notes, but mashing yeah. the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's actually something that uh, i took away from stoicism it was one of the uh you know how we react to things and i have a theory that uh you know events happen like you were saying and i think the trauma enters into like enters into existence based off of how we react to events so if we react to them in a negative way we're going to get you know negative trauma right so that's my working theory as of right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? And uh, I guess maybe as you get older, you try and I try and look at things from the perspective as is, is, is that things are an opportunity. Um, even when things go shit, it's still an opportunity. Uh, it will, I don't want to get into alchemy or anything, but all, oh, the whole not? sort of transmuting lead from gold, turning you know something shit into something mm-hmm. good. It's the same sort of same sort of process, the same philosophy, isn't it? And um, so these are sort of things I've been soaking in over the last few years and trying to implement it, even though it's incredibly difficult. And I'm no saint. I was going to say, like, I've, I've got a complete sort of imposter syndrome, a bout of imposter syndrome even being here because I just think, well, you know, why anyone would want to listen to me, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The obstacle becomes the way type thing, right? So like where your struggles are or where you find the opportunity to advance. And then like the imposter thing, like I struggle with that in my day job, dude. So like, <laughs> and I've been working with this company for like six, I don't know how many, six, five, six years. And I'm, I'm still worried like, oh, someone's going to, you know, find out I'm not good enough or whatever, right? So yeah, I sort of have the sort of all like my sort of thinking in my head is that I've no business telling anyone how to live their life or what to do. You know, you've got to figure these things out for yourself. I think no matter how long it takes, maybe that's going back to my sort of character in that I don't take advice. Well, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's related, but. Well, it's to me, it's not necessarily telling people what's right or wrong. It's, you know, here's what's worked for me because all I am is the knowledge that I've gathered in the wisdom from my past and I'm just passing it forward. So there is no real right and wrong, but I can just tell people, Hey, this worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Yeah. You get into shaky ground, don't you? When you start talking about what's right and wrong, you're going into morality and uh, that sort of territory. Um, and then, you know, uh, that's right. You're saying, this is my experience. This Mm -hmm. is what I've learned from it. Take, take, 
take it with a pinch of salt. Take what you can from it, that sort of attitude, which I guess that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Because we all have different experiences, don't we? We all come from different places. We've had, you know, some of us would have had really shit, horrible childhoods. Some of us would have had brilliant, idyllic childhoods. And, and to a degree, we're all a product of our environment and our rearing and our upbringing and our circumstances. So we've all got, yeah, I'm sort of talking myself out <laughs> of my own, you know, my own thing. But I, I suppose when you look at it that way, everyone's opinion if you like everyone's views are valid because they're individual to that person so yeah i'm, I'm an idiot but you know <laughs> no i mean that's that's why one of the things i like about the show is like different we try to get different perspectives mm-hmm. from you know all walks of life so i mean so i agree with what you're saying i think so yeah <laughs> lots of so's i'm gonna sew a button one of these days well all to right. me uh <laughs> or i was gonna say no to me and the reason i mentioned it was just like the imposter syndrome because when I look at people, it's like, well, you are here because of thousands of years of people being successful and doing things right. So, you know, from that level right there, just because you exist, you are one of the strong, there's knowledge that has somehow permeated through this entire point to you. So, you know, imposter syndrome is, you know, well, what have I been exposed to and what can I expose myself to? Anyways, that's why I was saying that. Sorry, Bill. Didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Not, not at all. Ready for question two? Yep. All right. What do you choose to ignore? Social media trolls. I think that's a good place to start. Uh, This week, I got accused of being uh, a Freemason controlled opposition shill. (laughs) Just out of the blue from someone I've never met. There's something fundamentally toxic about social media. And I guess it comes from being anonymous. That sort of anyone can post anything. And uh, it's sort of tempting, isn't it, to go on your profiles and, and look around and see. It's, 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 all, it's all psychology. You know, these big social media firms, they employ teams of psychologists, PhDs, to tune their software for the purposes of having eyeballs on screens. And um, the tro- I guess the trolls play into that. I don't know. It's just like, I've just, I don't have time. I don't have time to engage in trolling. I don't, I can, I can sort of, I can understand the, the lure of it. I, I experimented with trolling for like a day, like one day. I thought I'll have a go at trolling. <laughs> and it was quite fun. It was quite fun, but I felt shit. I felt shitty afterwards because it's like, <laughs> Trolling on social media must be the least productive way of spending your time that's ever been invented. I can't think of anything less productive, can you? No, I mean it's an outlet, I guess. If you if you could spin it in a positive way, maybe. I don't know. I used to, I used to, like when I had my own personal social media accounts outside of the show, I don't any I don't anymore, but I would sometimes when I went through my trolling stage, I would troll the local news station on Facebook just because, you know, it's mainstream media, so it's crap. And number two, it's local, so I can relate to it and say things that people make references that people will understand and whatnot, right? But, but yeah, that's in the past. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really concerned about social media. It's been, so, it's been unleashed, hasn't it? 
on the population over the last probably 10 years we're getting on for now with no consideration for what the ramifications could be. And we're hearing more about this, particularly with young girls and how bullying is moving into cyberbullying and psychological bullying and stuff. And uh, I'm, I would be happy if social media disappeared tomorrow. I, I won't miss it one jot. Yeah, I think it's definitely been a tool that has been rolled out and, uh, I don't know, used. There could have been, we could have done this a lot, excuse me, we could have done this a lot more prudently because I know that, you know, people like, uh, you know, I don't know if Zuckerberg has kids or not, but like rich, rich people, like they won't let their kids use, like Bill Gates' kids probably don't use, you know, Microsoft and they're probably not on these social media things because they know it's bad. Right. They've come out and said they're not going on it till they're 18. Uh, uh-huh. Bill Gates and, and other people. So if these powerful people are not letting their children do it and everybody else is just being all natural, I don't know, I'm granting here. I'll stop. And the thing is, as older guys, we're not sort of, we're not up to date. A lot of this happens through mm-hmm. gaming now, sort of online gaming, like uh, Fortnite, Rocket League, these um what's the other one among us have you got that do you is that big in the states i think i heard it about it once because uh aoc one of the congress ladies was playing it or something yeah she was streaming it maybe i don't know gotta be very careful with with young minds and exposing Mm -hmm. them to this shit you know well advertising works you know it used to be a joke that you know sex would sell look at what sells a beer commercial Now, engineer, you know, like you said, thousands of engineers, computers, things that are specifically targeting you. It's not just a newspaper that delivers a different newspaper depending on, you know, what your political preference is. This is now all the information in your life being funneled to you, everything you speak about being reflected back into the system to know what to funnel back to you, and then add into that, you know, agendas, people that want to influence, whether politically for commercialism, for, you know, just selling you product, which is probably what 90% of it is. But still, it is controlling your mind. It is a mass form of mind control. It is, it is terrifying how people just like open themselves up to it. Yeah, and it, it's so hyper tailored because because they're collecting all this information about you. You know, your browsing history or, or whatever. Um, they can hyper tailor this content specifically for you. This is how the algorithms work, isn't it? It's how YouTube knows which video to um, what do they call it when the um, does it suggest? Oh. The recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the next video. I mean, that's not, that's not a shot in the dark. If They know everything about your YouTube profile and they're saying, oh, this guy, give him this one next. And it's all about keeping your eyes on the screen, isn't it? So they can sell the ads. Right. And, um, uh, on the flip side of that coin, and just to play the devil's advocate here, like nothing happens without our consent. So the fact that this technology or social media, whatever, got used in the way it has been, like, we're being accommodated. Like we're letting this happen. We want it to happen. And I don't think it's going to change until, you know, we step up and make that change. And one of those ways to do that. And I know it's kind of a weird boat to speak in because we, you know, we both have shows to, to, you know, market. Right. So we kind of have to use social media, but uh, yeah. um, I think uh, not using those platforms, especially the toxic ones is a big step in, changing that so that's why i like supporting other 
platform, you know, social media platform, like Discord, right? You know, yeah, we hang out on Discord all the time. So let's start using that more instead of these other things. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, we've had a, a guy a couple of times on our show called Malin Baker, and he's like um, sort of down the line. He does news news stuff on YouTube, basically news videos. He does about three three a week. He'll do like a, a re- weekly roundup news video. And then he'll do two videos on a specific subject, whether it be, you know, the latest COP26 climate summit, whatever's happening in the news. But basically, he prides himself on being straight down the line, unbiased, unflavored, like this is what happened, and you know, not politically um, weighted either way. And you get punished for that. <laughs> so the more ex- extreme you are, the more the algorithm favors you on these on these platforms. And I remember telling him about Odyssey because we just started an Odyssey channel. I said, you need to get on Odyssey and, and put your stuff on there. And he said, but everyone goes to YouTube. That's the problem. The, the, the software is so good for a start. You can't, you know, the Google stuff, the Gmail, the Chrome, the YouTube, it all integrates together. It's easy to use. And the audience is there. That's what he said. Well, you know. my answer is go other places as well because it's a different audience in different places. Some people only listen to audio. So if you're only doing video content, you're never going to catch that, vice versa. There's other avenues where you can just open up full market share and still listen to Adam Curry, the pod father, creating podcast 2.0 right now, now has real data into you know show growth is you know saying that the number one thing you can do to grow your show is word of mouth. So in other words, your listeners are going to do it for you. So create good content and ask people to talk about you. So we can win this thing. That's the key uh, that Adam and John talk about is having an outstanding product. And that's what I'm struggling with at the moment. <laughs> that's, that's the imposter. Nice He's back. <laughs> oh, shit. But- <laughs> Well, just to touch on the back on the trolls thing, like that's, um, you know, no, what is bad? Even bad, even bad publicity is good publicity. I can get that out of my mouth. Right. Right. So it's like an energy exchange. They're still throwing energy at you. You just have to uh, transmute it into, you know, don't let it bother you. Right. Because you know that that person, like whatever caught their attention on social media, you know, that they're going to spend their day like thinking about that. And, you know, if that, wow. You know, if you just let that, like, have that in mind and then not let it bother you, like, you win, right? Like, not to say this is a contest or anything, but it's, I don't know, that's the way I take it. I never thought of it like like that, like an energy transfer. So the trolls are, you're right, they're directing their energy at you, and you've got to take that. Turn it into fuel for your fire. Yeah, take that lead and turn it into Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be some new, newer one out now. Yeah, it's called right? lead. Blood. <laughs> lead coin. <laughs> All right. Question number three. What book has been most influential on your life and why? This is another tough one. I decided, and I know loads of previous guests have said it already, uh, 1984. But um, not for the normal reasons. I, um, I was never a big reader in school. Wasn't interested in books when I was a kid. 
And we went on holiday uh, before my kids came along. So I'm guessing I must have been about 25, maybe 24, 25, 26, around that age. And we were staying, me and it was just me and the missus, and we were staying in a little cottage somewhere. And they had a bookshelf. And I picked up a copy of 1984 and started reading it while I was on holiday. And the whole day finished before, <laughs> before I could finish the book. So then I went home and I bought a copy and finished it when I got home. But that was key to sort of um, um, giving me back the love, uh, not giving me back, finding the love for books again. Because, you know, from the age of, you know, from school age to my mid-twenties, I was football, soccer, uh, you know, entertainment, Star Wars, Star Trek. I still love Star Wars, but, you know, um, media, just like the, the normal media that you consume. And it was only at that point, I think 1984 was pivotal in me rediscovering a love for books. And now I pretty much, I couldn't name you anything I've watched in the last year or so. And it's quite weird because I feel left out in conversations. I'll have friends talk and say, oh, have you seen Squid Game or something? I'm like, what's that? <laughs> Never, I don't know what you're talking about. So that was, 1984 was pivotal. Just other than being a fantastic book and prescient, even, uh, you know, today, um, it was important that it got me reading books again. And so that was huge. And it's been a gradual process, but I've basically sort of been weaning myself off the media, off Netflix and Amazon and movies and everything else and spending as much time as I can reading. And I'm, I'm sort of uh, addicted to it, really. Any spur minute I get, I try and fill it with reading or listen to podcasts. Some, some things like, it's this concept of found time. Have you heard about this found time concept? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm not, maybe not in the way you're explaining it. Go on. Well, say I have a dog, so I walk my dog once or twice a day. Um, the dog's well behaved. I don't have to do anything with him. I'm just taking him for a walk. And that's sort of dead time. But I can listen to a podcast while I'm doing that. Or uh, if you're washing the dishes or cleaning the kitchen or whatever, there's like little chunks in your day that might be 30 minutes or right. 20 minutes or on your lunch break at work, depending on what your work situation is, you might get half an hour to yourself. Or if you do a lot of commuting, driving, it's just sort of filling this time, which would normally be essentially useless. You know, you're on a subway train for 30 minutes. I guess people would have read the newspaper or something back in the day. Right. More and more people are sort of um, taking in media at this point, whether it be podcasts or audiobooks. I like a lot of audiobooks. Audiobooks are a different beast, I found. Sorry. How do, you, how, do you, how do you mean? What, well, different to podcasts? Or yeah, definitely. Definitely both. Like podcasts, I mean, so you're listening to a conversation, it's more organic. And then uh, books, when you're reading books, like it's that's your own voice in your head and you're going at your own pace. And like with audiobooks, like it's hard to follow along if you don't have the text, like I find anyway. And then like it's harder to concentrate. I don't know. It's just my opinion. <laughs> You gotta like close your eyes and there's really also a, a lot of authors. I started off with patiobooks.com where people were doing audio versions of serialized books 
and then also some authors releasing them also in uh, written format as well. So when you listen to you know the author reading their own story, you know it, it in a serialized fashion, it it, uh, it brings a different flavor. So I'll introduce you to some of that audio. Maybe I'll I'll bring into yeah. the audiobook world, Bill. Awesome. I mean, a lot depends because I I use Audible, and a lot depends on who's reading it, mm-hmm. and also the audio quality on some of them is absolutely shocking, like unlistenable. Mm-hmm. I got one last year. I'm not going to say who it was, but it's a well-known English author who writes about political, the political landscape, and cancel culture and those sorts of subjects. And I got it off Audible, and I got through maybe a chapter and a half I had to delete it was like it was it was like have you just recorded him in his bathroom on a dictaphone could you not pay for him to go into a studio and do this properly you know because it's so accessible isn't it audio equipment for you know a couple hundred quid couple hundred dollars you can have a really good setup for for recording the voice I'm using a twenty dollar a twenty three dollar microphone exactly yeah, and I, I downgraded from my hundred and thirty dollar microphone because this one sounded better. So really, yeah, yeah. It's, so what uh, you want now, Adam? Oh, what is that? I forget the model. It is a Behringer. It sounds like you're in a solar vortex. It's Sorry, a it's a, a XM 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 eighty five hundred. I had to lift right, up my so, phone guard. Yeah, it, it's a great, great little microphone. I was using a Sennheiser, uh, whatever, 835, I think, which is a great yeah. microphone. You sent and that then one I came, to me. Yeah, I do. And I still have, <laughs> I still have, I have two of those. That's why. Because I kept the one right. I think that has the switch on it. I could be wrong. Maybe not. I don't know. I sent you one of them. But it's, it's a great switch. little microphone. But this one, in what it is for me, it picks up a little bit less of my lispiness that I have. So <laughs> it's a selfish reason I keep it. But yeah, no, you can you can do it for cheap. I think what a lot of those groups too did is they uh, would subcontract out, you know, just for bulk to, you know, just supply uh, not good media, but we have 10,000 audio files for you. Mm, yeah. 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 But r- Real quick, back to 1984. Uh, recently, the website for the show, 13questionspodcast.com, uh, got a an upgrade. And part of that was me curating the book list for question three, which contains the answers to every book ever given to as an answer to that question. So 1984 is one of those ones that is repeated multiple times. So it's good to see it pop up again. Um, and then if you haven't checked out that page at the website, there, all the books are linked to Amazon. And if you want to buy a hard copy or whatever, Audible is available too. Um, you can help the show, support the show that way. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because we haven't really had a chance to talk about it too much since the upgrade. So uh, that would make a, that's going to make a fantastic reading list, isn't it? It is. It's amazing. Now, some, for someone who's new, maybe new to books or just getting into it, you know, teenager, whatever, is like, check out this, mm-hmm. like, 100, and, 100 books or so. Yep. I mean, that would be a hell of an education. Oh, I love the way you say that because when I, when I think about myself as young in the books I read, and then I think about the books that I didn't read until I was in my 30s, and I'm like, if somebody had handed this to me when I was 14 years old, so yeah, I'm glad I was reading Michael Crichton, but I could have digested this. Where would my life be? Because now I'm starting to pick up on these things and finally feel like I'm starting to understand the world, you know. 
Which, by the way, for you, 1984, what a great book to be so pivotal for. Because, you know, if it's in your forethought as an important book, it was, I mean, it's very informative on, you know, the world we're living in today. I mean, to be honest, I, I mean, it's, it's 15, maybe 15 years since I read that. I think Brave New World's better and more prescient, but that's another story. But um, it, was, it was like the spark. It was the spark that made me realize, because I'd not seen the film. There was the John Hurt film. I'd never seen that. I would think maybe I was too young to see the film. So, and I'd seen this on my brother's shelf. I've got an older brother who's six years older than me, and I'd seen it on his shelf and never read it. And so it, it, was, it was more, it is a fantastic book, and it's one of my favorite books, but it was the spark that got me into reading again. But as far as like per, books that are like personally, personally meaningful, I think the most meaningful book I've read is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Let's try and find space bar again, Bill. <laughs> it's a big long one, it Bill. No, <laughs> I can't hear. Oh yeah, I had to there is that one down. Have you have you not have you not come across that one? Um, Victor Frankel sounds familiar. I don't. I mean, the title doesn't, but it doesn't mean that I'm just you know having it's memory said, blockage, right? It's 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 really heavy. He was in the con. He, he was in the concentration camps, and uh, before the war, Second World War, he was a psychoanalyst. Um, and man's search for meaning is him basically writing down what happened in 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 the concentration camps from a psychoanalyst point of view. So he analyzes his own psyche, the the psychology of his his. Um, captors, the guards, and also his fellow inmates. And was he a German or was he Polish? Do you, do you remember? I, th- I think he might be Belgian. Belgian. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know what nationality he is. I should Nothing. know. I should know. Um. So pass. You have to fact check me on that one. <laughs> I right, don't right. know. Not that it matters. I was just. I, I don't think he's German. But um. Yeah, it's it's one of those books that really makes you think. And um, does that mean that there's a meme going around, um, and it's a photograph, a black and white photograph of a, like a, a Nazi rally, and there's like a crowd of five hundred people all doing the the salute, but there's a, a red circle, circle round one guy who's like there, we stood up with his arms folded, saying, "Nah, I'm not having this." And I think the text of the meme is something like, you, you thought you were going to be this guy. Well, the test has happened and you failed, basically. And um, that's what's powerful about that book, Man's Search for Meaning, is that it, gets, it, get, it makes you realize that if you were in, in Germany in 1939, what makes you think you would, you would be one of the good guys? We're, we're all capable of that. We're all capable of doing heinous crimes. And it makes you really have to think deeply about your own morality and your principles and when you're going to stand up and say enough is enough or are you not, you know, it's uh, amazing. I'd re- it's one of the few books I'd recommend. Okay. Yeah. Well, sounds like I'd, a- I'd recommend a lot of books. That's the wrong way of phrasing that. It's, it's probably the book I'd recommend most for, for blokes. 
Okay. Well, I'll, def- I'll include it uh, under your name and episode title on the the book catalog for sure. Then sounds cool. like an eye. Yeah, sounds like a definitely like a, a wake up book, right? Like a eye opener. It, it's kind of like uh, the Gulag Ar- Archipelago. Heard nice. of it? Haven't read it. <laughs> Again, that's I read that this year actually, uh, back in January, because um, they they released a new version and Jordan Peterson did the foreword for it maybe okay. a year a year or two ago i remember darren was talking about it at some point a while ago i think and it's again i've said it before on our show but there's a fantastic quote from it where um Solzhenitsyn says i'm probably going to butcher it now um but the, the the dividing line between good and evil runs through the center of every man's heart we're all capable of it basically and it's it's so true, yep. And uh, such a wake up call. Well, I like I like Jordan Peterson in that because the way that he describes it, at least I've heard him at one point, just essentially like, look, you know, if you need to defend your family, you may need to use great anger and power and do things that you normally wouldn't do to protect and do the right thing. And it's the same capability that's on the other side of doing terrible things. So you need to understand what you're completely capable of so that you can know how you would rightfully handle. I, I, that's not the right word, but yeah, I, I don't think enough people think about life in those contexts. And when you don't, when situations happen, like people just in their heart don't know how to act. They're conflicted in the moment. We've had such a, a sheltered existence for the last yeah. 50 years. We've been so lucky. I was born in 1983, so we were just sort of coming out of the Cold War. Uh, when did the wall? The wall fell in 91, didn't it? The Berlin Wall. So I, w- I would have been eight years old. I-, I barely remember anything from being younger than eight years old. So most of my life that I can remember has been sort of the longest. All right. I know we've had September 11 and wars in the Middle East and stuff, the first Gulf War and what have you, but rel- relatively speaking, um, the last 30 years have been about as idyllic and peaceful as they could have been. And I think we've been spoiled. And and maybe that's been taken advantage of right now with what's happening right now. I don't want to get into that stuff, but you, you, I think you know what, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Right. That we've, we've been coddled for 30 years and maybe now the turkeys are coming home to roost and we have to be more vigil, vigilant. You know, when you talk to people who came from countries that were very recently in the Soviet Union, the Eastern Bloc, Poland, Czech Republic, all these sort of countries, they're a lot more skeptical of their governments than we are in the West, in the rich West and the Western Europeans. And I think there's something to to learn from them. Absolutely. Oh God, that got that got serious. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not a problem. All right, well, moving on to question four. What rule do you have for yourself that you never break, and why do you think that it's important? This was really hard to think of anything for this because I'm not really a rule. I don't really, introspectively, it's not really something I've thought of about setting rules for myself. It's an interesting question because it's not something that comes naturally to me. I don't think about, and maybe it's something I should do. Maybe that's 
what this is telling me is that I need to start thinking about, do I need to set rules and boundaries for myself? The only thing I could really think of was try to not, try not to put too much weight into what other people think about you. Uh, with obvious exceptions, when it comes to your kids and your close friends and your immediate family, obviously their opinion of you does hold weight, particularly your kids, because you're the number one role model. You're that you're their example, and you want your kids to to thrive and be the best that they can be. And so that's why it is important what your kids think about you. Um, but for people that you don't know, again, going back to the and the Twitter trolls. You just gotta I, I think you just gotta let that wash over you. It's kind of insignificant. So you gotta weight things in different ways. So how do people think of, of me? Well, my kids and my spouse, they're number one. They're at the top of the scales. And then sort of on a sliding scale, my close friends, immediate family. And then after that, it's pretty much it's pretty much weightless. You can't you can't afford to uh, give too much attention to things like that. And it's so it contradicts, doesn't it, with this modern culture we're, we're in, with sort of this culture of Instagram. <laughs> what do they call them? What's the, the job description? Um, oh, influencers. Influ- <laughs> influencers. Fucking hell! How vapid. Inside, I want to be it. I want to be. Oh God, I can just, if, if my kid comes up to me and says, I want to be an Instagram influencer when I grow up, I just, I would just think, oh my God, I failed. I failed as a parent. You know, I, I wanted to be a paleontologist or an astronaut or, you know, something like that. But I want to be an Instagram influencer. Fuck. What a state of affairs we're in. I really, that's terrifying to me. If that's what kids today are aspiring to. The power of social media. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, um, yeah. Forget it's doing anything actually it. useful, right? Yeah. It's when you sit oh, back and watch. They're very useful. They're very useful at selling products. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Idiocracy is slowly becoming a documentary. <laughs> In 1984, for that matter kind of terrifying but you've got to laugh at it because it's so ridiculous isn't it it's just so ridiculous (laughs) yeah i saw a meme with the uh the like uh it was a amazon center that they built in like tijuana in this like um you know disgruntled it's just this town that was in you know shambles and then this brand new pure building and it's compared up to the costco in the movie idiocracy in just the middle of a wasteland in this perfectly square building and i was like it's you cannot make this up if there, you know, there's something about this, uh, you know, media informing reality or something. You got to disengage. That's the only way. I mean, it's hard. It's hard because it's thrown in your faces. And I think it is hard for the kids because um, you run the risk of, of feeling excluded, don't you? If, if you're a, I don't know, 11 year old or a 12 year old kid, if, Personally, when it comes to my kids, I would like for them not to have a smartphone, a smartphone until they're 16 at least, maybe 18. Um, but the, the thing, the peer pressures come in. So if, if the best mate's got one, the best mate's got an iPhone at 15, then there's sort of this pressure and you don't want your, your kids to feel excluded and to, um, 
it's a hard balancing act and we're navigating this for the first time. This is novel. This didn't exist 10 years ago. Well, and it's ambiguous. Um, it's everywhere. You're not going to be able to keep them from getting it. You know, no. back in the day, it was porn magazines or cigarettes or alcohol. You know, kids are going to find a way no matter what your parents are trying to do. Now it's, you know, information that's available everywhere with just a login. You know, nobody's checking credentials. Yeah, social media is amazing. <laughs> different beast that we all got to figure out how to tangle with. But just to touch on, like, not... Um, not worrying about what other what others think. I think as you know, a fellow podcaster, like I gotta keep. I find that I have to remind myself that uh, you know, whenever I put out, you know, whenever whenever we release an episode, like maybe it won't. And I have to push these thoughts of like not being received well out of my head, right? Because at this point, the episode's out. It's out of my control, and how it's received isn't. You know, it's not up to me. So even though, like, I don't know, I'm rambling here, but. Yeah, not worrying think, about what other people think. <laughs> well, you, you know, this this isn't like a, a performance podcast. You know, this is just a natural thing, a natural conversation. And so it, if it isn't well received, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't act. You can't pretend to be something you're not, Bill. You know, you just have right. to put it out there and... It doesn't matter. You've just got to let it wash over you. And I believe there is an audience for everyone out there. And, and you know, the trick is finding the audience, isn't it? Or, or, or at least getting the audience to find you if you put this stuff out there. Um, now, this is a different sort of animal to what, I, what we do on ours because it's, it's very natural, conversational. And we're trying to uh, sort of touch on topics that are meaningful that's the whole point of it you know listening to this podcast is this is why i shouldn't be on it <laughs> listening to this podcast is supposed to be meaningful it's supposed to help people in some way you know you're supposed to gain something from it rather than just ent- a lot of podcasts are just entertainment they're just filling that time where you're walking the dog or doing the dishes wife whereas this is something extra this is about trying to pass something down and and create something meaningful which is admirable, but you can't worry about what people will think about it. You just have to do do your best and stick it out there, and it is what it is. Yeah, it was very kind words. Thank you. It's a nice little boost of confidence. I heard uh, Joe Rogan talking about deciding what is funny once, and he was saying that essentially, well, if I think it's funny, then there's going to be other people that think it's funny. So you can kind of just trust in you know just doing the best you can that's all you can ever do you can't if it i mean I, there is an argument if you if you feel that you've put something out and maybe you didn't put in a hundred percent or you feel oh i could have just nipped that better i could have done this better then maybe that's where some insecurity can seep in because but if you've put everything into this whatever it is you're doing it could be anything you don't have to be podcasting but if you've put everything that you could into it, that's the best you can do. It's all you can do. And there is no point wasting any energy thinking about any longer what other people might think about it. Because that's all you can do. And we're all human. We're all fallible. We all make mistakes. Me more than most. You just got to let it go and say, right, well, it's another day. 
the sun's come up. Thank fuck for that. The sun's come up. It's another day and we go again. Right. What, what have you got to lose? Start looking at the, the next episode or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Into the Why future. not? Yeah. All right. Question number five. If I were to ask your best friend, what is the one thing they would say you need to work on the most and why? I should have really asked him. I could have recorded. I could have even recorded him. That would have been <laughs> he, cool. He probably would have trolled me though. <laughs> he, probably, he would have called me a Freemasonry shell or something. <laughs> you uh, heard it here first. That's a tough one. Sorry, Adam. I said you heard it here first. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I have a tendency to be careless with my use of language. I think that's what he would say. And I agree. <laughs> so, um, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing because you, you don't want to drift into the realm of self-censorship where you start deliberately restricting your speech because oh, because you're worried about offending people even though that sounds like a virtuous thing and something you should do because you shouldn't want to offend people. It's a really hard sort of subject to talk about, but I think I'm careless in some ways in that sometimes I say things for effect to get a reaction, to push, push a boundary without really considering. Uh, because once you start doing this, once you start podcasting, you realize that it's not just you and two of your mates in a room anymore. There's other, there's other people listening and there's a wider audience out there. Um, you sort of have, have to start considering there's a certain responsibility, I guess, that comes with it. It's I weird. Guess, it's weird to have to find that and deal with it, right? As a fellow podcaster, right? I could relate. It's weird. And it, it depends on your personal situation as well. So fortunately, I'm self-employed. I'm unsackable. Mm-hmm. Uh, my income is secure, but my two co-hosts, one works for the NHS, the National Health Service, and the other one's in the corporate world. And you've got to be bloody careful with what you say. Because if someone finds out... It's so crazy. You heard the story about that woman who went up in an airplane and she tweeted something. Oh, yeah. It, like, And by the time she'd, the plane had landed, she'd been fired and there was a Twitter storm and all the rest of it. And this is only going to get worse. So, uh, yeah, I suppose that, you know, the guys on the other side of my argument would say, well, you can have free speech, but it comes with consequences. And the consequences might be that 60,000 Twitter trolls try and cancel you because you said a naughty word or whatever. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard. This is why we don't, um, like, I don't mention my wife's name. Mm-hmm. on our show and I don't mention my kids' names and it's because they're not accountable. It's me on the mic. I'm the one who's talking. I can be accountable but, you know, my family and my kids, they're, you know, they're not there to defend themselves. She's not there to give me a dig in the ribs if I say something that was offensive or um, clumsy or whatever. Yeah, I think language is tricky because you're casting spells when we use it. Spelling, right? Mm. And it tricky. changes. It's it constantly evolves. constantly mm-hmm. evolving, isn't it? You know, and, and what would be acceptable speech 
20 years ago is an acceptable speech today. And things that we're recording now in this room and putting out on the internet might be acceptable today. But listen to this in 20 years and our kids will say, oh my God, what a, you know, a chauvinist pig or a fascist or a racist or whatever. Because social, social ideas change over time. The yeah. Well, the it's weird, like the Overton window idea, right? Moving the Overton window. The weird flip on all this is that we've gone to a situation where um, people people get upset for the way that the, the words that you say instead of what you're really thinking. And that's why comedians continue to fascinate me as being just an integral part of society. People that are truly free. You know, people that can go out, make their money by sharing their thoughts that cross all these bounds because people know they're not serious with what they're thinking. And if you refuse to think of something, you refuse to give it light, you drive it into the shadows. You know, history repeats itself if you don't know about it. So, you know, bringing terrible things to light should not mean that you believe in it. And then once you start to do that, then it's then it's very weird because it's directly to what you said. You know, it's controlling the words. The words control the thoughts. And, you know, how can you make sure that never happens if you're no longer aware? So to me, it's the most like terrifying, you know, aspect of this change. And if people could just get back to the, you know, it's what you think, not per se what you say. You know, you shouldn't be held accountable for tweets 15 years ago or, you know, as off-color as her joke and, or tweet was, it was a poorly planned joke, and we've all made those, and we shouldn't be, you know, forced to hang on those. You know, did she yeah, really mean I, what she said? No. Probably when not. I, sorry, Adam. No, no. <laughs> when, I, when I was, I remember vividly when I was in primary school, they used to say, um, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that sums it up. You know, you say what you want. Uh, I mean, you can you can physically hurt someone, but words aren't violence. And this is a, this is a controversial thing to say today that words aren't violence. Well, those words We've, follow you into your room. People are attached to the social media. It's it's not thought that's at the dis, that's a disconnect. Our generation would have been okay. Well, if you're getting you know bullied on social media, unplug the computer. You know that was it. But now you know the phone's in your bed. It's in your room. You know, it's on your watch. It's integrated into all aspects of your life. So, like, I don't know. It's 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 like a weird addiction. We're addicted to screens, whether it was movies or anything else, and we're still addicted to these 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 little devices. When the parents are addicted, I mean, of course, kids are going to get addicted. And then it's it's almost like a weird like parasite. You know, like a, mm. like something that's just latched onto us that we can't let go of, we can only manage. Because most people talking, aren't going to not give their kids computers or phones. I was talking to one of my co-hosts the other day who has a daughter, uh, I think she's nine, younger than my eldest, I think she's nine years old. And the, they're pretty good with like screen time. It's like you can have your tablet this time of day or this time you can have it for 30 minutes or whatever, whatever. And anyway, they were putting it, it was putting her to bed one night and she'd hidden the tablet under her pillow so that she could get it out at night and be looking on YouTube or whatever in the night. This is how, this is a nine-year-old girl. It's so dangerous. We've, 
Are you are you guys parents or not? No, I don't have no. No. It's a it's a war it's like a warning message. We've got to be so on guard when it comes to protecting our kids from this shit. Uh I don't know it's where I'm going with that. It's it's so insipid. It's so insipid. It's it is dangerous. one of those children are one of those things that uh, I am thankful that I don't have from time to time <laughs> just because of the way the world is right now. Like not to say that I don't want them. I'm just saying I'm thankful I don't have them now. Well, it's hard <laughs> enough to control what they eat, you know, but you need to control their mental hygiene, their mental health, which is what they're ingesting mentally. And, you know, it used to be, yeah, you could watch every single movie. You could watch, you know, the, the VHS tape, you know, or, you know, not turn on the television, but, you know, everything's receiving signals. So, I mean, it, it's so hard. Like the world has truly been shrunk and connected digitally. I'm sure our parents said the same thing when they were raising us as small mm-hmm. children about how dangerous the world had become in. And we've got, Oh, we used to have two TV channels and now we've got 25 TV channels or cable TV or satellite TV. And do you know how much Mario cereal I ate? or like Nintendo based, you know, products, if it had a logo on it, I was, I was buying it and, you know, we were all in and, you know, Facebook is just the next step. Yeah. Read. That's metaverse or whatever. What? And it's funny. We didn't know we were in the system, but now we're complaining about the system. You know, these poor kids today are, you know, my God, what are they going to wake up to when they realize that they're stuck in the matrix? Well, let's make sure it's better, whatever it is. Question number six. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, I would say novelty. So things that are new. Um, recently, I, um, we have uh, like No Agenda. We have art submissions for the show art. If people can, uh, people are good on computers that can come up. There's a thread on the Discord where I say who's coming on next week, who next week's guest is going to be for episode 209 or whatever it is this week. And so um, you can come up with your own artwork and then post it on the Discord and we'll use that for the podcast, for the Spotify artwork or whatever. And uh, this week, uh, Lee, who does a lot of our artwork, said, "I've just, I've just got nothing. I can't, I can't come up with anything." So I thought, "Fuck it, I'll have a go." And so I said, "What, what do you use? What software do you use?" He said, "It's called GIMP," and I've been using it for a couple of weeks. And I'm, I'm shit at computers. I really don't like computers. This laptop is rubbish. <laughs> it's really slow. But I thought I'll try it. And um, learning something new stretches you. It makes you push what you think you can do and try and improve. And so that's why it excites me is trying to learn something new. So I've done, I've done the show artwork for like the, the, um, well, we're recording it tomorrow, our next episode. And I think it looks bloody good. I'm mega impressed. It's like, fucking hell. That's all right. That. <laughs> but I tell you what, such a learning curve trying to use new software for someone who's computer phobic. Yeah, but uh, a beautiful new age, you don't have to like learn how to use Photoshop or buy the $1,000 program. It's just like, oh, there's this web-based thing that's free and I can look professional. 
yeah, open source. Anyone can download it and just play around with it and tinker with it. And it doesn't matter how much experience you have with computers, you can actually produce something, which is amazing. So that excite. I think, yeah, novelty is very exciting. Anything that's new gets me going. That's awesome. And wanting to try things. Because otherwise, I suppose you're in danger of getting stuck in, a, in ruts, aren't you? Um, with your creativity. I've not really, I mean, music was a big thing in my life. It has been a big thing in my life. I play guitar and I've played guitar in bands since I was about 13. I've probably spent most of my life in at least one band. I was in, I remember being in three bands at one point. Um, so creatively that's creating music's probably, um, one of the more important outlets I've had in my life, but not so much in the, over the last two years because, um, I don't play at home. I don't play solo. I like playing with other people in a band situation and, just like a reciprocal relationship. I don't know if you two play, have played in bands or so, but I do not. I have not. I don't know any instruments. This is a skill that I wish I had. Maybe I'll change that. <laughs> I, when you first start, when I first started, when I was a, like 13 or 12 or something, um, you were just practicing. You were trying to learn songs. So I think it was Wonderwall. I was trying to learn Wonderwall by Oasis. And you just play it over and over and over and over till your fingers hurt. So you had to stop because your fingers hurt. Um, and then I got to the point later in my life where I, I just stopped playing at home. I, I wanted to be playing with other people. And this sort of, you develop relationships. When you get into a band who are like a tight band, uh, it's, it's almost... Um, it's almost te telepathy. It's really weird. It's like you can look at a bass player and he can look at you and you know that and a chord change is uh, coming, a chorus is coming or a bridge or a verse, whatever. It's really, it's really weird. When you, when you go, if you have a good relationship, you know, kind of rambling though. No, it's um, a different type of communication. It's nonverbal and different. It's just different all around. Well, you sort of, you're syncing. You sort of you're in sync with each other as a unit, rather than being an individual who's playing in your bedroom. Mm. You're syncing up with each other, and you're playing in a relationship. You're playing off each other. You'll hear the drummer do something. He'll do something weird on the hi hat, and you look over him, and you'll give him a, a smile and say, "Fucking hell, I heard that, and that was ace. Do it again. Do it on the next chorus, because that was brilliant." This, you have this reciprocal relationship. Same thing, you know, there'll be a, a solo break and you'll, you'll play something, you'll experiment with something and it, you think, fucking hell, that sounded all right. And you look over at the drummer and it'll be smiling, it'll be grinning, saying, that was ace. You know, it's like a definitely a non-verbal, there's something, sort of, some sort of synergy going on in a band situation. It's, it's quite primal. bizarre. It's primal almost, right? Like music, like, this goes back fucking before time, right? So... It's forever. It's, it's it's where our oral tradition comes from. Said this, re uh, I can't remember which which episode it was on a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, but we, we seem to sort of downplay, you know, if we if you go back thousands of years and and we think about before writing, before ancient Sumer or Babylon or Egypt or whatever, and we think about um, stories being transmitted through oral tradition. For thousands of years and we sort of write that off as like 
oh, we equate it with Chinese whispers and, you know, there'll be errors and that that's not true. That's myth. And these primal people, how, how accurate can their oral traditions be? But and I, and I remember saying like, well, how do we teach our kids the alphabet? We don't say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Once you put a melody to the words, it just sticks in your brain. That's how we teach our children the alphabet. And it, it, it goes back thousands of years. How do you, you know, it's like I can, I can remember lyrics from Michael Jackson and Prince songs from 30 years ago because, it, because they have a melody attached to them for some reason that sort of imprints it in your brain. It's weird. It's uh, mind control. That's why we have our uh, gratitude jingle. Like jingles work to sell stuff. Like our gratitude jingle is all about getting people in the gratitude state. So if we can get that to stick in your head and be an earworm and like maybe change your day. And that's why, I mean, I support Felix, the guy that made the gratitude jingle uh, on a monthly basis through Patreon, I think. And I just that the, the amount of jingles that that man has made that have showed up in the podcasts that I listen to, like, so yeah, he he definitely deserves a shout out here. And yeah, music is it's magic. Does he do commissions, Felix? Commissions? Um, he I don't know that. I'll I'll put you in touch with him. Okay, <laughs> I don't know exactly. Uh, he did have a price for for. For a while, I don't know if it's changed or not, but yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll put you in touch. It's something very unique about Crime America that you notice when you first start listening, listening to the show is is Felix's music. It's yeah. it's like a USP. There's something very special and unique about his music. Yeah, there and is. He, yeah, go ahead. That was sometimes it takes a few listens. Like you'll hear it the first time, think, "What's what? What? What's going on here?" And then once you hear it a couple of times, you think, oh my God, it's, it's in my head. <laughs> it's rotting my brain. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And then if you listen to Felix's, like his songs, he has albums that you can buy, like the lyrics in there, like it's just so, like he sneaks them in there. It's like, wait a second, what is he really saying? Yeah. Check it out. Highly recommend. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Question number seven. What was the most embarrassing or humbling experience of your life? <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> How long have you got? Can we go for another three hours? Well, <laughs> we're going to do a, a Rogan length episode. Have you ever tried I've, I've made a fool out, out of myself so many times. It, I, I wouldn't know where to start. There are a couple of things that stood out, though. Because I did think about these questions, and um, one of the most—I don't know if embarrassing is the word. Word more. It's more sort of shame. More the most shameful episodes. I I um I didn't enjoy school. I got to about the age of twelve and thought, yeah, twelve and maybe thirteen. And uh, yeah, school, I'd had enough of school. I didn't want to do any more. And that's when I started bunking off. I don't know what you call it in North America. It's truanting, skiving, uh, not yeah, going. Truancy. Yeah. It's just the technical or legal term, right? Truancy. Yeah. 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 And uh, 
I think I was maybe 14, maybe. And um, I was walking around our streets near where I live with one of my co-hosts. And um, my mum and dad's car pulled up next to me. And my mum wound down the window and said, uh, we need to talk when you get home. I thought, oh, shit. Okay, I must be in the ship for something. And it turned out that that night had been parents' evening. I don't know if you have this in America. It's like uh, every term or so, the parents go into school and have a meeting with the teachers. Yeah, yeah, the parent-teacher yep. night or something. Yeah. Well, I, I decided to bunk off that day, <laughs> the day of parents' evening. So my mum and dad had gone to parents' evening and sat down with the teacher, and the teacher had said, uh, so how's Phil? Is he all right? And my mum and dad said, yeah, yeah, he's fine. All right. When, when do you think he'll be back in school? <laughs> and uh, my mum and dad were just completely mortified because <laughs> they had no idea. No idea whatsoever. Um, so that was part of the shame. Is like I realized how embarrassed my parents must have been in front of that teacher because of my behavior. That really hit a nerve um and so yeah there was like an intervention after after that <laughs> after that point after i've missed about two years two years of school <laughs> but um i can't um praise them enough for how level-headed they were the fact that they pulled up in the car and said I need to talk to you when you get home. You know, if, if that were me, I would, probably would have pulled the car up and said, get in the fucking car, you little shit. <laughs> we're going to have this out now. Where the fuck have you been today? You know, I, I, I would have struggled to keep control. Having been that embarrassed, you know, in the middle of the school assembly or whatever. Uh, but that's, that's credit to my parents who were awesome. Basically. I couldn't have asked for better parents. So lucky. I don't know how I turned out so shit, really, considering how good my parents were. But my brother's like the model. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So, uh, I was just going to talk you, stop you from negative talk. <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> what was the, the embarrassing slash humbling experience. Yeah, that was... That was embarrassing for my parents. It was humbling for me because I think that's probably the first time I realized that my actions actually impact other people. So it's this sort of self-awareness that I'm not the center of the universe you know, and that I can do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll just do what I want. It doesn't, I don't give a shit. I'm not bothering anyone. Well, it's weird because we learn through experience. So, I mean, you needed to have that experience and some of us need to get, you know, larger experiences than others before we really reflect on it properly. So, I don't know. It As bad as it is, it's certainly carried through to affect you today. I mean, that's fuel to a fire if you use it right. Well, the fact that I still remember it and I remember how I felt and I remember what my parents said. I mean, we're going back yeah, uh, 24 years. Maybe. So it, it's obviously means something because I still carry it. You know, if I think about it, you, you, your questions have made me think about these things. 
and I'm still carrying this around with me. So it must be formative. It must be important. There's something to learn from that. And the biggest thing that I learned was how my parents reacted because that, that is the challenge. My challenge as a parent is to be as good as my parents were. Some people have really shitty parents and that's a different challenge. You know, you're, you're shooting higher. I'm, my viewpoint is that I need to be as good as my parents. Otherwise I've failed because they had a rougher time than me. And yet they were still like, I couldn't ask for better parents. So that's the bar that I'm set. I have to be as good as them. Otherwise I'm a, an abject failure in the parenting game. Sounds like this might come up again in our role model question later, later oh. on down the line. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, let's move on to question eight. What is your greatest fear? How did you overcome it? This, this was the hardest. Well, it's not the hardest one. Um, the only thing I fear is anything happening to my kids. It's as simple as that. I don't really care about myself. I'm very future orientated. Even though I'm obsessed with history and ancient history, I love ancient Rome, ancient Greece, prehistory. I just absorb it. I love it. I just, give me more. But I think the purpose of it is, is that I'm, I want to learn about that to know where we are now and where we're going. Mm -hmm. It's all about future for me. That's the only reason I look back. And so that's, that's the only thing I really have fear for is what would happen to my kids. And I haven't overcome it. And I don't think you ever do as a parent. I think it's impossible. I would venture to guess you're right. I mean, I can't speak from experience, but it's hard. Uh, your life changes so much when you become a parent. And I guess it depends what stage of life you are when that happens. Uh, what would I have been? Uh, 27? I think I was 27 when my first kid was born. So I was barely an adult. I'm, a, I'm of the view that men don't mature till they're between the ages of 25 and 30. And probably child having children probably maybe speeds that up to a degree. But I, I, I was still, a, I still consider myself psychologically to have been a, like a teenager when my first child was born at the age of 27. Uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm being unfair. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that there's, I think 25 is the year around where the brain stops growing or whatever it does. Right. Cause there used to be some statistic around that powers that be said that, uh, cannabis can still, you know, badly affect people up until 25. I don't know. It was obviously it's propaganda, but well, there's some biology in this. It's the prefrontal cortex, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they reckon there's a discrepancy, don't they? Between girls and boys. Whereas the in girls, the prefrontal cortex finishes formulating earlier, maybe the age of 18 to 20. Whereas with boys, it's later, it's maybe 25. And it's, it's represented in this country by car insurance, motor yep. insurance. I don't know if it's the same over there, is it? Uh, it used to be. I don't know if that's still concurrent. No, they can't do it anymore because of discrimination. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not fair. It's not fair to charge an 18-year-old boy more for car insurance than an 18-year-old girl. But the reason the insurance companies did that is because 18-year-old boys are more likely to take risks and end up wrapping the car around a lamppost because of their biology. So did that like uh, even out or like how did that affect that's, you know everyone's prices more, right everyone's prices went up they, they just raised it up okay yeah the house always wins doesn't it right <laughs> yeah makes sense yeah yeah we're also having less formative experiences you know you said it well that life is progressively getting easier and easier we're not having as challenging of experiences you know culturally we're not doing um, you know the uh, the walkabout or, you know, at a certain point you have a, have a test that pushes you beyond your limits, you know, these things like have just initiation. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I can just think of so many situations, you know, whether it be jumping while attached to the rope before hitting the ground, sticking your hand into uh, you know, a, a nest full of fire ants, <laughs> you know, these things that, you know, the, there is nobody can get through to the end unless you do it, you have to do it. And that's it. And there's no way to do it until you've completed it. And it's through an incapability to do it. Like, we don't have that challenge. And it used to be even just seasonal starving was normal. You know, there was times where you weren't going to eat. You weren't going to eat the same things. And so when we pull ourselves away from all that, it becomes so much easier. Like, you just see all these other problems and other, or maybe symptoms of not having that, you know, start to exist. Those things may have made young men more mature, much younger, you know, because the experience of living, yeah, protecting, yeah. gathering food, you're part of that system and everybody has to be useful. And that's not today because in those days you would die if you weren't useful enough and the system just stayed lean. We're so, we're so detached from our own mortality these days. And this is part of the reason why we've been so mm -hmm. scared over the last 20 months. Um, you can tie some of it to religion and how societally religion has been on the decline over the last 50 years. But I think part of it is that we're sociologically, we're so detached. Um, if you go back a couple of hundred years, most couples would have, uh, what would be the, the survival rate, the birth rate? I think you probably had to have five children mm -hmm. to have three survive past 12 years old. Yes, way back in the day, they wouldn't even name the babies oh. until they get reached like what five years old, two, three, or something like that, right? Uh, we we spoke to a guy who was um, from um, Steve from the Spartan History podcast, and he he sort of laid it out how how the Spartans treated their children. <laughs> it's like fucking, I mean, it's brutal, but it was through necessity because that's what it took to survive, and we're so um, wrapped in cotton wool now, aren't we? I think maybe we've gone soft. Well, every time I go to the supermarket and it's raining out and everybody's waiting and not going out, that's when I'm like, okay, what did you people like? What happened before there was structures and umbrellas? Like, I'll just go out as even if I don't want to, just as a matter of fact of like not letting this structure control me in the world. That's wild. People won't go out if it's raining. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you go to the supermarket and it's raining, it's it's very common that people just wait <laughs> until it stops raining or, you know, there will be yeah, one, one one chastised husband who has to go get the car and bring it up. 
You want to move to fucking Lancashire? It never stops raining. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never leave the Well, house. listen, listen, this is South Florida. So, I mean, seasonally, that is exactly the case, which makes it just as weird. <laughs> wow, that's wild. Fuck. Yeah, if I waited for nice days to go out and do yard work in Michigan, I'd never get anything done. But it's it's to your point, you know, at least a certain segment, and we all have become, you know, soft. You know, I certain nobody, unless you're, you know, like an athlete, um, is exercising as much as people had to, you know, just for normal day to day life than we do today. So we're very I mean, it lucky. Goes back to, was it was it you, Adam, who was talking about stoicism before? I think I had mentioned it. Was it Bill? Bill. So like this philosophy is like sort of the antithesis, isn't it? To this um, cotton wool, modicoddled lifestyle we have now. But it's just, in it, it's not inaccessible. It's not in the, it's not, it's not provided to us via the culture, is it? You know, stoicism for an, ex- for an example. You have to go out of your way. If you want to, you know, f- read Marcus Aurelius' yeah, Meditations. Read. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to, yeah. <laughs> to read for a start but you've got to go out your way to find it right and you need you need people to say well maybe this is something you might want to read otherwise you're never going to find it because you know the kardashians is on or whatever exactly (laughs) and then even hmm, just trying to say trying to think if i want to say this and i think i will um even with stoicism in particular like so the access to that topic in general uh, you know, it's hard, you know, they're not going to find that on Netflix. Right. So <laughs> I did, I did find a group on the internet dedicated to teaching about stoicism. Um, they were, but except that it's all very academically slanted. Right. So like, if you're not in the club and you know, you're, you're just, you're not going to get anywhere with it. So I was kind of upset. Uh, I stopped following the group and you know, wasn't going to pursue trying to get them on the show just because it's you know, to find, I don't know. I'm, I'm ranting now too. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, if you, yeah, if you want that kind of entertainment, entertainment is not the right word, but yeah, you, you got to like seek it out and reading is the, I mean, the best way to do it in my opinion. I mean, Sure, there's probably some videos on stoicism on YouTube. In fact, I know there are because yeah. of this group I just talked about. But yeah, it's, it's like I didn't really get uh, introduced to philosophy, stoicism until college. Like, you know, after I became an adult in legally in, in the net, in the eyes of the government, right? Yeah, so. it's, it's not in the syllabus, it's not taught children. Yeah, it's it's something that's ancillary. It's not necessary. Philosophy isn't something that's going to make you a better cog in the machine, is it? <laughs> so they're not going to teach it to children or high school children. It's something you'll learn afterwards, hopefully, of your own volition. Yeah, that's why they killed. What was it? Plato. He drank hemlock because he was charged with so- no Socrates. Socrates yeah. corrupting the youth. Corrupting the youth. Yeah, Bro. what a legend. Right. And we have nothing. We have nothing written by Socrates. It's all secondhand from Plato. Yeah. That's yeah. The I trial, added. the trial and death of Socrates is what you're referencing. I think, Bill. Yeah, that read guy that. Would have been. Yeah. If you're listening, read that. It's great. <laughs> or anything by Plato. <laughs> right. All right. You ready for question nine? Yep. 
what is your single greatest driving force in life and how do you further it? Um, it's a tough one. I sort of thought about, I think it's probably the future for me. I'm probably going to repeat what I said earlier, but although I'm, I'm very much interested in history, particularly ancient history and what's happened in the past, I think that there is a reason for that. I think that you have to understand what's happened to understand where you are now and therefore where you're going in the future. And this is why I can't get into a lot of the conspiracy stuff. Like, uh, you know, maybe JFK or, I don't know, moon landings, whatever, pick your conspiracy. Because it's happened in the past and it's done and we can't change it. I'm more interested in what's happening now and what's going to happen next week and next year and the next decade. I think that's the only thing that matters. We can't change what happened. And although, although it would be nice to know what happened so we can hold people accountable, um, the powers that be generally work things so that the information only comes to light once anyone who is <laughs> involved has already been in the ground dead for about two or three decades. So that's not going to happen for us. We need to look at history, try and understand what's going on, to understand where we are, and predict where we're going, and stop, that's the key, stop these things from happening again. Those that don't learn from history are doomed to, re oh, I'm, 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 I'm butchering the quote, but it's more like, what is it? Do you know it, Bill? Those who don't, uh, don't learn from Yeah, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, or something along that. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, I like I the idea that uh, history comes in flavors. So, you know, it's never going to be exactly the same, but, you know, if you can start to sense a cycle, sense a wave, sense a change, um, it gives you an advantage. You're not so lost in the confusion, you know. You can start to look at the world in a uh, more pragmatic way of saying, you know, this is the transition of the caterpillar to a butterfly that, you know, right now, if you looked inside, you just see this gelatinous goo as the one body is being absorbed and there's no cohesive structure. It's a mess, but it's transforming into something rigid and new and different. And, you know, I don't know. I like to look at the world that way. To your and point. It's, ex it's exciting to, to think about like the future is going to be built by uh, us. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we've, like we're swap casting, right? We're, we're building it on cooperation, not competition, which is what they don't want us to do is to cooperate and organize because the more organized we are, the more they don't have control. So yeah, you got to, <laughs> you got to see the opportunity, haven't you? In, in the situation, uh, it's sort of it's, it's sort of easy to get downhearted, isn't it? Because you realise that the weight of everything is against you, and you, you're just trying to do your your little bit in your little corner of the world, trying to put out whatever it is, whether you do a blog or you're a YouTuber or a podcast, whatever, and you're trying to put your stuff out there and hopefully uh, gain people's attention and make people aware of a, an alternative narrative or an alternative story. So it can it can be it can feel um can't think of the word now. Um well mean 
Is yeah. Overwhelming? I don't know. Overwhelming. Everybody likes to use overwhelming, but nobody uses whelming as a word. <laughs> but you just have to do what you think is right. This is why it's important to decide what your own. One thing that I try and do is try and think about first principles and morality and try and set lines, lines in the sand, you might call them. Um, and it's, it's not like these are set in stone. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded and have my mind changed if new information comes to light. Uh, I'm willing to be persuaded. If I'm wrong, I'll hold my hand up and say, I was wrong. This is what I think now. But I think the first thing, you have to at least make the attempt to formulate your principles and where they should be as a starting point and then let them develop over time. And I think a lot of us are so sucked up, aren't we? We just sort of go with the flow. We're sort of, um, we're not even conscious. We're just sort of drifting, drifting from one day to the other. And we're very busy. We have to work nine till five. Maybe we have kids. Maybe we have to pick them up from after school club and then we have to take them to judo, <laughs> whatever. And maybe swimming lessons on the weekend. And by the time you get home and make the dinner and put the kids to bed, you just want to put on Netflix for two hours and zonk out and not have to think about anything because you're tired. You're tired. Um, and that maybe is the easy way out. And um, what you have to do is stop and decide what's you need to think about what's important and what is important is your own morality your own view on things and uh you need to you need to decide what your principle is going to be and if you're going to if you're going to decide you're going to draw a line here and say i'm not going to cross that line there are certain things if i see happening in the world i'm going to say no i'm not taking part in that that is wrong. And I'm going to tell everyone I know that that's wrong. And that's probably quite courageous in some respects for some people. Yeah. Picking a hill to die on is. Well, it's important too, because nobody knows yeah. what you're thinking. And especially nowadays, so many people are afraid to say, well, they're afraid to say because nobody's saying. And if it turns out that 10, 20, or 30% of the people around you are thinking the same way that you are, now all of a sudden you're in the majority of a way of thinking that you didn't think you were in before. And, you know, with social media being manipulatable, you know, if we're not speaking to each other, you know, it's a true inoculation. It's a true protection. It's a gift you can give other people, which is when you see other people reflecting a thought that everybody tells you shouldn't be spoken or thought that it's your core you don't understand. And then you go, this other person understands it. Well, if we all spoke up at once, we would no longer feel that way. So when you see that person, you can give that same gift that's given to you. And, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's brave, you know, so it's calculatable in this world, but, um, it works. And that's the thing, you know, you're not the only person with individual thoughts. I think it provides a lot of comfort for people, particularly what we're doing. We're putting ourselves out there and we have, we're in the process of trying to build communities around what we're doing, whether that be through um, uh, Mattermost or uh, Discord servers or 
whatever it might be, but we're trying to connect, aren't we? We're trying to connect with other people who, who see something, see that something isn't right. And, uh, that brings comfort to people that they realize that they're not alone and that there are other people out there who, who realize that things aren't right. And it's not just some bot on Twitter. These are real people you can talk to and communicate to. And it's and, even, uh, I was just going to say, it even adds a, la- a layer of coolness. Like when, it, when you're in another country, like where we're communicating, like, cause they don't want this to happen. Right. How is it be? They don't want this conversation to happen. Right. Oh, they would love, they would so love to regulate the internet. That is the, that is the golden ticket. If they can shut down the internet, mass communicate. I can't believe they'll let the genie out of the bottle. You've got to hats up, hats off to Tim Berners-Lee. Because he, he, he was pretty much, you know, instrumental in, in coming up with this system and he gave it to the world. And uh, we don't want to end up like China you know, the great firewall of China where everything is controlled, you know. This is the Wild West. We're living in the Wild West of the internet. So you've got to make the most of it because if you give these fuckers half a chance, they'll shut it down. They're trying. Yeah. Yep. This is, I suppose, this is the, this decentralized stuff, the um, blockchain, Mastodon stuff. This is where this comes in, isn't it? Yeah, because you don't have to rely on the system. Yeah, you know, sure, YouTube is the majority, but you don't have to participate. And the more people that start unplugging, and and I I think that's a real possibility that it's going to become, you know, a a huge thing. You just have to look at the cable cutting. Sure, it's going towards commercial, but it's people willing to unplug from one system, you know, completely and go on to another one. And the next one is, you know, not being controlled. Um, once you go onto like a Mastodon server, it's amazing. You can follow stuff. The order of things isn't changed. You know, you're not being messed with. So the whole thing just feels right and feels better. So the natural base experience is always going to be a better experience. So I think, you know, the annals of time, you know, we'll, we'll get there, but it's not going to be easy because the machine is not going to let go. Sorry to sideline you. No, that's future future is what we make it. it's exciting so we're on question 10 there is no fate but what we make that's like it's good, yep. it's a good one it's from terminator <laughs> <laughs> right. sorry sorry question 10 <laughs> question 10 who were slash are your role models and why easiest question at night uh be my dad for me um, he worked hard. He worked shifts, so days, nights, fifty-two hour weeks. Um, that's sort of secondary. It's more I've um, I've realised as I became a parent how good he was because I see him interacting with my kids when I'm an adult, and it's a completely different perspective. And, um, one thing that I I want to try and emulate is how, (laughs) when, um, is, is 70, when was he born? 46. Was he born in 46? I think he was born in 46. So how old would that would make him? 76, I think he would be. 
Um, but as soon as he gets in a room with a six-year-old, he turns into a six-year-old. And there's something amazing about that, which I haven't been able to grab yet. I've realized that I'm, I'm incredibly serious with my kids. I'm like, stern isn't the right word. I'm not stern. I'm, I think I'm quite balanced. I'm quite zen. I don't overreact. I don't underreact. I'm quite, I'm not the type to fly off the handle, but very serious with it. And uh, definitely what my dad is teaching me by me observing him is how you've got to, <laughs> you've got to play with your kids like you're a kid. You've got to become a six-year-old again. It's quite amazing to watch. Um, he's one of those guys. Another thing I picked up off him was the way he would use humor. So he would always use humor to diffuse situations. So like uh, I was telling you earlier about when I got caught skiving off school and my mum said, oh, we'll, we'll see you when you get home. We're going to have a chat about this and whatever. And uh, I remember talking to him about, you know, after this parents' evening. And um, I remember my mum saying like, what did you used to do? Like, how did you, because they would see me leave for school in the morning and then they would go to work. Oh, my dad would see, would go to work. My mum had already left. And so like, what did you do? Where did you go? And I said, like, I used to go out the front door and then walk around the back of the house and then just wait in the back garden. There was a, like a, there was a little square behind the back of the garage where you're out of sight of the house. And I would just wait there until I heard my dad's car drive off and then I would go back into the house. And my dad just went, oh, bloody hell. I thought it were just fairies that lived at the bottom of the garden and just make, just make a joke out of it. And it was like, yeah, I can't, I can't wrap my head around how I would be going apeshit. I would be going apeshit in my kids if they were doing things like that. But he would just... Or constantly would use humor all the time. Doesn't matter how many hours he'd worked, how many, how tired he was, he would always use humor to um, diffuse the situation. Because I guess my mum's a bit more like me. She's a bit more not hot headed, that's unfair, but more, more serious, I guess. But my dad is just like, as soon as you get him in, it, interacting with a child he becomes a child it's wild he sounds like a true comedian where you know he's not gonna be upset by something just find a way i mean yeah you can wallow in the sorrow or the whatever or it can be funny because it is and you're here and if it's funny then i don't know that's it's very that's a like a beautiful character trait to have i don't think i ever saw him upset or down Maybe I have a gloss. Maybe my uh, brain is sort of putting a gloss over my past and our relationship because I was a young boy. Um, because there was alcohol. Alcohol was a problem. My dad used to work fucking hard for long hours and he used to drink a lot, quite a lot. Um, he gave up 
beer about 20 years ago and he's never touched a drop since. He won't even have a chocolate, a chocolate with uh, like brandy in it. He won't touch a drop. Um, so maybe I've got sort of rose-tinted uh, rose perspective of my childhood because it was, you know, to me, it seems idyllic's the wrong word. I mean, we didn't have any money. Well, like we weren't rich. We they had to work bloody hard for what we had, and we didn't have a right lot. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you got to take the lessons where they're there, take the good stuff. And if my brain's sort of filtering out some of the the not so good stuff, well, tough shit. I don't care. I'm going to take what I can. I'm going to take the good stuff and implement it as best as I can. And that's what I'm trying to do. It's it's really hard. It sort of goes, I guess it goes against my, my character in a way. I'm, I'm sort of automatically quite serious and I need to, I need to like, I'm, I need to fucking lighten up what I do on the podcast every bastard week. I need to take that from here into the house and do it with the kids is what I'm trying to say. I don't even know what the question was, but role models, <laughs> role models. Yeah, yeah. me dad. That's okay. Uh, my dad's a legend. Basically. When they get grounded, their their punishment is come onto the podcast as your guest. Ooh. <laughs> I love yeah. it when uh, I love answers. I love when guests give answers about people that are uh, you know personal, personal close role models, and not you know not like uh, <sighs> you know we talk. Michael Jordan comes up a lot, like. You know, oh, which is fine you. to have him as a role model, but it's it's refreshing to hear people say like my dad or you know my uncle or you know whatever. Well, not, I had some celebrity, right? That's what I'm getting at. If you, if you'd have if you'd have asked me uh, 20 years ago or 25 years ago, I would have said uh, Jimi Hendrix or Jimmy Page or Noel Gallagher. I've no idea who these guys are or were. I don't know if they were good guys. I know they were talented and they were, you know, Jimi Hendrix, arguably the best guitar player ever, but he could have been a piece of shit for all I know. What You know, you've got to go off what you know. And talent is one thing, but. Um, Character is another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Question number 11. What quality do you most admire in a woman? Obedience. Question number 12. No, Patience, I would say. I think patience is important. Uh, again, I'm going from a sort of child, child rearing perspective. This, I would have answered this question differently. 15 years ago but i think uh once kids come into the equation uh patience is very they used to call patience a virtue and i think it's probably an undervalued virtue now um yeah yeah it's it's not listed as one of the four cardinal virtues or whatever but is it not definitely no um we've got uh, fortitude temperance courage strength wow. no it's fortitude patience is not on that list i know that because i've thought about this before <laughs> nothing will try your patience like children your own children so 
that's when it that's when it matters. So um yeah, we definitely undervalue it. And it's hard. It's it's one of, it's something that's difficult to exercise, isn't it? It comes back to that um it comes back to that first question about not being able to change things that happen to you, only your only your reaction. So when your kid does something that's pissing you off, you've got a choice to make. Are you gonna fly off the handle and start screaming at them? Start slamming slamming kitchen cup cabinet doors? Or are you gonna take a breath? Count to ten, exercise some patience and try and Make a joke out of it. That's what my dad would do. But I don't know. It's one of those things that is constantly presenting itself for you know a challenge. Sometimes, depending, I don't know. Helps with the road rage patience. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine someone having. I can't imagine it being a detriment to have too much patience. It hurts my brain. I don't want to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Question number 12. What is the most courageous thing you have ever done or seen in your life? Uh, I couldn't do, I I couldn't think of anything for this. I'm thinking maybe I've had a sheltered life. I've not really seen, like, I've not seen anything firsthand. I guess, um, it depends what your definition of courage is as well. What would you what would you say was like the the definition of courage? To me, courage is something that requires strength. So strength is a prerequisite to to courage. So um, that would be, I don't know, initiation comes to mind. You have to have courage to go through an initiation. Um, and there's different types of courage, I guess, too, like right. you know, physical courage. Emotional courage, like emotional courage is maybe this is kind of something that I was thinking about this past week is accepting, uh, accepting your acceptance is it? That's it. Like having the courage to accept the way that you feel and not trying to rationalize it or change it or like that's step one in trying to integrate and heal is acceptance. So. So I don't know how that helps you in trying to answer this question. <laughs> but yeah, uh, a, I think, yeah, it depends how you define it. I mean, the best um, definition I can think of for courage that I heard someone say, I don't know who it was, was uh, something along the lines of um, being afraid, but doing the right thing mm-hmm. because you know it's the right thing to do. So in regardless of the fear. Well, that's what I love about the courage question is because it's also from what perspective. Because until you're truly in a situation, you don't know how you'll react. Sometimes you just know this is the thing to do and I do it. So you would not say that you're courageous, but the person sitting off to the side would say, I I don't know how I'd react. That is courageous. And so seeing or experiencing courage, it's, it is very subjective. I remember, I mean, I think this is probably a lame, probably a lame example of courage, but I remember the first time I went into a supermarket last year without a face mask on, a muzzle, and I got anxiety. That's a good example. No, I like, yeah. And I remember being challenged at the door 
by the guy as you know have you got a can you hello sir can you uh, mm. and just say no i'm exempt uh and it got easier every time i guess because you're exercising it i guess i don't think that's particularly courageous at all when i think of courage i think about like the guy with the shopping bags in tiananmen square facing off the tank you know or the guy in the the meme we mentioned in, in the uh, the Nazi rally with yeah. his arms folded while everyone's giving the Hitler salute. There, I guess there are degrees, aren't there? There are degrees of courage. And uh, again, going back to that Viktor Frankl book, you'll read about different degrees of courage. Fucking hell! Oh my god! It's crazy well, though because. Those moments that you mentioned transgress time. They affect this conversation. They, those are some of the most powerful things that human beings have ever done. But in the moment, it is the – it's not even known if it's the right situation. But, you know, the power of standing up as one person should really point out the power of standing up. And, and there's always more than one person. It's just who's the first to stand up? Who's the one that's willing to get hammered down as being, you know, the nail? If everybody becomes nails, you can't hammer everything in. I don't know. I just, I wish people, well, I think people will find it. You know, we like to say we're getting restricted by media and everything else, but truly we're getting freed because, you know, it used to be the pipeline was, you know, the books or the print. Now it's obfuscation and everything. So mm. we have better access and, you know, as long as people can think for their mm. own, you know, I, the truth always kind of. You know, it floats to the top. I remember this has just come back to me now, and it must be 10 years since I've read this book, but there is a, st a story from Viktor Frankl's book. And I'm, I'm going to get the details wrong because it's been a long time, but there's a, a mum, a dad, and a child who get off the train at Auschwitz or Birkenau. And there's a mum and dad, and I think there's a, a boy, maybe six or seven years old, who's lame. He's got a bad leg, or he's got some sort of disability. And the mum and dad get off the train, and they see people being divided into lines. And this mum and dad realise exactly what's happened. This train track ends here. We're not going anywhere else. This is a death camp. And the mother looks at her son, who is lame, and realizes which, which queue this lad is going to be going in. And she says goodbye to her husband, gives him a kiss, and goes with the child to her death. Because she wants to be there with her son to comfort him. That is courage. That is pure courage. It's just crazy to think about that it actually happened. You should be very you've thankful to, that you've, uh, got to, you, you've got to read it. 
makes me grateful that we live in the world that we do where the vast majority of people are not subjected to those types of decisions. Absolutely. Because most people fold like a pack of cards. It's definitely a book that you have to prepare. It sounds like a book that you have to prepare yourself for because uh, it's definitely not like a light reading, right? So, uh, no, but it's it's real. The, the subject, yeah, the subject is, is not light. Yeah. It's real and it happened and we have to stop it happening again. It can't and we are. Again. We're, I mean, we are. We're doing it. We're organizing, we're cooperating, and we're, we're pushing back. And if we're seeing some results, it's just, Got to get everybody else on board. That's all. Well, the pendulum always swings. So, you know, even if it's swinging in the other direction, it's, it's going to come back. You know, things always, you know, through over the long term tend to balance out that, you know, that energy kind of gets, finds a middle point and then it swings on to a new, a new evolution. So, you know, this will become one of those problems that we go, I can't believe they thought that way. And, you know, we'll be on to some other new extreme to conquer. Absolutely. I hope so. That's why after today we have to move forward and, uh, and, you know, do our best. That's all you can do is do your best. And I was, I also just wanted to mention, uh, intellectual courage is having the ability to uh, change your beliefs when presented with new knowledge. So just wanted to drop that in there while we're. Yeah, we, we get so um, tied, don't we? Uh, our beliefs become part of our psyche, part of our personality, and we're so reluctant, aren't we? When something, something new, some new information can come along that completely contradicts your worldview or your point of view on a given subject. And yeah, we tend to be so reluctant, don't we, to take that information in and admit that we got something wrong. It's like we, we invest so much of ourselves don't we into our, our worldviews and our beliefs that definitely does take courage. That's a great point. Yeah. This cognitive dissonance is, oh. I believe the, yeah, a nice label to put to it, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. That brings us to the caps capstone question. I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> question 13. What does it mean to be a man in today's world? I really don't feel qualified to try and even attempt to answer this question. I would say, um, I think Jordan Peterson speaks a lot about this sort of stuff. And um, he's far more qualified than me. Responsibility, I think it's important. You have to realize that you're uh, in our sort of reductive, scientific worldview we see ourselves as insignificant ants hurtling through a rock through the cosmos and we're sort of insignificant we don't what we do doesn't really matter and it's so wrong it's so important what you do you have to take responsibility for your existence it is a miracle that any of us are here it's a miracle that we've been born you know and then we've met we've made it through childhood and matured there's never been a better place to been alive, a better place for a better time than in, in the West, in Western Europe in the 21st century. So you've got to grasp that and realize that you're not insignificant. What you do matters. 
And it might not matter immediately, but it will matter in the eyes of your kids and your peers. And if you, if you have any sort of platform, it'll matter to people who are consuming whatever you put out there, whether it's uh, music or books or a blog or podcasts or whatever. So, uh, I, I, yeah, we need to get away from this materialistic, nihilistic, mm, Dawkins-esque worldview that um, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're insignificant. Certainly, the, certainly the message that they want you to believe, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what we're given when we show up here, seems like. Well, it works for them, doesn't it? It definitely works for them. If you can convince everyone that what they do is meaningless. <sighs> Nothing further from the truth, though. Like, it's insane. Like, that reminds me of, uh, you talked about personal responsibility for your existence. Like, isn't there some, seen a quote on a meme floating around, uh, something about having the, yeah, becoming your very existence becomes an act of rebellion. And so to me, that means living consciously, not only like in a spiritual woo-woo sense, but even down to like where you're spending your money, like where are you getting your textiles? Where are you buying your food from? Like to, to detach from these systems, to become self-sustaining. Like, you know, if you're not relying on the supermarket to grow your own food, like I'm not at that point yet, but I want to get there. I mean, that's how we take our power back is by not, is by, you know, doing things yourself and not relying on others you can you can condense all that into live life on your own terms we get we go through a school system that tells you what you should be you do your career plan you see the careers officer or whatever it is you know when you're 13 years old and they try and map out your career for the rest of your life and what you're going to do fuck that fuck that shit live your life on your own terms you decide how you're going to live your life, where you're going to get your food from, whether you're going to rent or get a mortgage, get yourself debt-free if you can. I'm still working on it, but that's the big trap. Once you're a debt slave, <laughs> you're in big trouble. Yeah, you know, it's it, spiritual too, man. I mean, it, money. It's, even, it's, it's even worse for the kids these days because of um, the, the way the university system works here. So we, we push like 50% of our young kids to go to university and it, it becomes a tax. They're going to call it a graduate tax. So you, you'll be paying 10, 15, 20% of your income to pay for your degree for the rest of your life. It's like, you really... Oh. What is a degree? Like, really, it's a piece of paper so you can impress somebody so you can affect somebody else's opinion of you well to jump back to one of the things you said earlier on and this is what i love people now have this found time where you can become an expert because you can listen to professors you can listen to really important people that or you know just different diversity of information like we now live in an era where people can start to make connections and become masters what you would have gone to school for people i mean the average person is going to be an expert in some level that you don't even understand in a way that nobody could 20 or 30 years ago. So like, you know, it's funny, you know, we're, we're all getting caught up in video games and not being as productive, but we're at least, you know, now like fire hose feeding each other, you know, information. 
that's a great thing about the internet is that it's making a lot of this stuff redundant, mm-hmm. like the school system and the degrees or whatever. It's like you said, you can go, you can go, Jordan Peterson's probably put, what, three, four, five hundred hours of lectures on YouTube? Yeah. Free. Anyone can watch it. You can take your own notes. Um, you can probably do a course. I'm sure, you know, there are different professors who have courses that you can do online and get a, some sort of There was a time MIT was doing that. They put all their lecture and all their material online. You couldn't yeah. get a degree, but you could at least have access to the same information. So you can absorb and technically at the end, you know, you're the same amalgamation of that process. Absolutely. It's, it's a matter of time. That, that's the great thing about the internet in some ways that it's it's democratized information and that it's 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 lowered the bow um it's it's removed the barriers to entry which is terrible and at the same time i mean it it, it's wonderful yeah i mean i don't know how it works in america but they used to have um so going back, say, 50 years, it would be a certain, it'd be like the top 10% of students would be selected to go to university and it would be paid for by through taxation by the state. It would be free. And then maybe 30 years ago, they started bringing in something, uh, tuition fees. So you would pay for your term of education. Maybe it was a thousand pound. And it's built an industry around it now. So now I think it costs nine thousand pounds for a term of education at university. Yeah, so similar c- similar thing happened over here, but in a different fashion. Yeah. It was just very cheap for everybody to go to your own state university, and it was a very you know uh, cost effective process. And then it turned into where we can make money off of this, so it was no longer a service where the cost was running what you're doing. Then, of course, you know if you can get more money, then your costs increase. It becomes an industry. Mm-hmm. An industry. And then that's sad because then education becomes a debt system and, it, you know, ultimately it's, you know, you're supposed to be educated to free your mind, but it enslaves your mind back into another system. Yeah. Uh, what else about being a man, a man today's world? Uh, don't beat yourself up, I would say. We all, we all make mistakes. I've made more than most. And it goes back again to that first question. You can't change it. You can't change it. Once you're fucked up, you can't change it. But it's up to you how you react to that fuck up. Are you going to learn from it? Or are you going to do it again? (laughs) Or somewhere in the middle? Uh, What's that phrase? Um, Oh, a fool. A fool. That's it. A fool learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Mm-hmm. I think that's something to keep in mind. But I think uh, a lot of us have a tendency to give ourselves a hard time when we fuck up and, and relive it and relive it in our heads and go over it. And, oh, what if I'd just done that? And well, it's what addicting. If just- it's addicting. It's a loop. It's a loop. Your brain gets addicted to that. That negative mental loop. You get stuck in it. That's why you get in a rut and you got to talk yourself out. Like that's, well, you know, from my experience anyway, but it's, you know, like how you get addicted to something that feels good. Like your brain mm. can get addicted to negative mental loops. Really? Wow. From what I can tell. And this is just, you know, well, the truth is, or whatever. you know, I've heard Darren Brown talk about this, that, you know, 
people think about you way less than you think they do because you're living in your own head. So, you know, there's this perspective that, you know, these things are continually affecting other people. They're not even thinking about it anymore. So, you know, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And if we start to, you know, change those stories instead of, you know, having it loop in on itself, it's, I don't know, it's just something that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. So they don't even see it as being something that's there. We, t- we tend to live in our, our own heads a lot. And there is sort of, I think there's probably positive and negative. So I, I think I'm quite an introspective person in that I, I do analyze a lot of my thinking and my behavior. Um, but there's like another side to that where you can drift into fantasy. You can fantasize about things in your own psyche. And I often catch myself starting to do this and have to pull myself back. So I'll, I'll be listening to some, something that will come on the radio or something. And then I'll, I'll fantasize that I'm the, I'm John Bon Jovi or whatever, <laughs> you know, playing, playing the music. And you can get sucked into this world that's in your head. That's not real. That's completely made up. And you're sort of living out some sort of fantasy in your brain of being a rock star or being a YouTuber or whatever. And I've noticed that over the last few weeks, I've had to pull myself back from that. And say, whoa, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you, why are you pretending to be uh, Dave Lee Roth? <laughs> you fill, you fill. The <laughs> Get back to reality. This is use. It's, it's a waste of time, isn't it? A waste of psych, psychic and, energy. Yeah, that's just it. Because you're not focusing on the present moment, which is the most yeah. important moment. You're daydreaming, which is, you know, I'm not saying it's bad or whatever, but we all do it. But yeah, it's something I like to be conscious of because I don't like to be steered by an emotion I don't realize is it, you know, work. Like, you know, if, if my fly's down and somebody notices it the whole day, that's all I'm going to be thinking of, you know, I'll be thinking, are people checking my fly? Cause I'm thinking about it. So in just this whole world that I'm in is just going to be very self-conscious. Meanwhile, nobody else, the second that it's done, nobody else is thinking about it. It's dropped. So when I find myself in those veins, it might not necessarily be guiding me in a particular direction, but I'm like, well, it's influencing my way of thinking now, and it's completely illogical because I'm letting other, you know, I'm letting myself live in other people's thoughts, and I'm just not that important. They're not thinking about me all the time. <laughs> yeah, it ties back to not worrying about what other people thinking about you. Yeah, from like one of the first few questions, I can't remember which question it was. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. It's the same sort of philosophy, isn't it? Coming back around again. It's the same as it ever was. <laughs> yeah. Talking heads, right? Yeah. All right. You are out of the hot seat. That was the 13 questions. Um, did yeah. you do you have any thoughts, feelings? What was your experience like going through the questions, finding answers, talking to us? Were we assholes? Were we nice? What do you think? <laughs> no, you you were great. You're excellent host. I sort of, um, I struggled. I had to kind of really think hard. They're, they're, they're not easy questions. Like for someone who's quite an introspective person, um, these, a lot of these things I hadn't really thought about. So that was interesting and gave me something to think about. Good. Um, the experience has been great. Good. Where, where did you, how, why did you ask me? Where did you hear about me? 
Instagram. 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 Yep, uh-huh. that was that was where we connected the show. So then I found out that you were uh, in our Discord, a uh, fellow lurker. So. Ah, yeah, I told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I must. I probably joined the same time I joined Grime America Discord. Probably before that blew up. Yeah. Right. Did you want? Well, let's do plugs. Plug your ep or plug your episode. Plug your podcast. Anything else you got going on? Websites, you know, social media, anything that you want the listeners to know about. Well, I do a podcast once a week called The Army's Inquisition. And uh, we have a guest for an hour, for the first hour. We do lots, lots of weird stuff. I mean, it's not all weird, but we do ancient history and alternative history and all sorts of esoteric stuff and conspiracy and all that. Very similar to Gramerica as far as like the flavor of the guests are. I, we live by the same mantras, whoever we deem interesting. We invite nice. on the show. And then the second half, which is usually an hour, an hour and a half, we do like news deconstruction, like a poor man's no agenda and play news clips and try and figure out what's going on with the media messaging and stuff and and try and have fun with it. So it's like, it's kind of like grime, bit grime America, bit no agenda, bit OBDM. That sort of flavor, but with, with dodgy British accents. And uh, I love it. It's like the thing that I look forward to doing every week. It's great. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah. It's great. I enjoy it. And I like meeting other podcasters. And I've, I, I was an early adopter. I started listening. I think the first podcast I listened to was maybe 2005, 2006, maybe. I think it was a Ricky Gervais one. And then I got onto Joe Rogan and I heard um, Randall Carlson on Joe Rogan. Nice. And that's when I went to my podcast app and searched for Randall Carlson. And that's how I found Grime America because he'd been on there. Now he's been on there like seven times or something ridiculous. Yeah. Probably even more than yeah. that by now. I know. He's, he's one of my dream guests. I love the sort of um, the way he puts. Um, like sacred geometry and ancient history and Freemasonry and all this sort of symbolism together. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I was lucky enough to go one to one day. of the uh, Grimerica uh, contact in the woods that he was at and amazing human being. Yeah, encourage people to look him up. Did you get? Did you go to one, Adam? Yep. Oh, I don't think you'll let me in now. I'm a, I'm a pure blood. I don't think they'll let me in in North America. Yeah, they're not letting anybody in. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, no, you, you got to go from one place to another place. So, you know, you can probably yeah. find a way to hop around. Well, we had we had Darren and Graham, Graham on our show uh, last year, maybe about 18 months ago. And at the time, they were talking about doing one in the UK. Yeah. Um. Because there's so much great old shit around here. It's like, fucking hell, just come over here. I'll show you everything. I'll get the archaeologists lined up. We've got like stone circles half an hour away. We've got Hadrian's Wall. There's all sorts of old shit. Stonehenge, whatever. Uh, but obviously then the pandemic happened and everything's gone to shit. So, yeah, they were talking about it. I was going to say, give it a few years. Maybe we'll let you in. Things will change. Well, imagine what's going to happen. That's what if, I'm hoping. If, I'm thinking things are going to calm down. Well, once, when the, once they get this out of the system in a year, another year or two, hopefully 
people will come to the senses. Yeah, if people break the reins and get out again to travel, I mean, people are just going to, they're going to go hog wild. The, the travel afterwards is just going to be exponential. Everybody that hasn't seen their family in years or taken vacations, you know, the place, like if you have one place that you've always wanted to go before, you, you better go because you may not be allowed to go there. This may be your only chance in the next how many? It was already two, three, four years. So yeah, I eventually... I see that as being like, it's it's going to be insane what happens with travel. I hope so. Definitely. Hopefully the human will can overpower this all. I think it will. It yeah. will. It has to. It has to because the alternative doesn't bear contemplating. We have to win. Yeah, I Humans think I heard somebody say, um, you know, uh, if you're not going to stand up for this, what will you sit down for? Very well, Paul. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah, I like that. I like that. What else did you ask Bill before we went? Um, I think that's it. I was just going to tell the listener to add the Amish Inquisition to your podcast list if you haven't already. And um, yeah, support your favorite content creators, guys. Yeah, we're value for value like you guys as well. Right on. Completely stole it off no agenda. We do the same thing. It's like donations only. Everything's free. Nothing behind paywalls, no adverts, anything like that. Same sort of, uh, not mentality is the wrong word. Same business model, yeah. Darren, Darren has a line that I'm going to start using that for the podcast. It's not a free show. This is a value for value show. So please let us and Amish Inquisition support. I mean, like I said, support your content, favorite content creators. I could say that without a weird accent coming through. Yep. Time, talent, and treasure. Boom. Yeah. It's been great to meet you guys. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah right dude. back at you. Um, Same. Oh, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. And uh, best of luck with everything with the podcast, Sophie. Thanks. Well. Same, same to you, man. We'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Take care. Right. Have a good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.
why don't you help your brother when you see him fall? Why do we act like God don't see it all? Why do we call them black, them white, them Asians and use labels? Now that's racism. I don't wanna why? I don't wanna why? I don't wanna why? I don't wanna why? Question with all of the means and why won't you follow your dreams? Tell me why. The night when you took my dad, why'd you let me see my grandpa cry? And tell me why. And why do you choose to hide even though you was born to fly? And tell me why. And why don't we turn from all the hate? And why don't we learn from all mistakes? Why do I keep on wrecking these fat beats? And teachers don't make more than professional athletes. And why? This should be considered entertainment and not therapy. We hope you benefit from our resources available at 13questionspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.